evening or good morning, wherever I happen to be reaching you right now. Welcome back. I'm sorry it's been a little bit of time. Uh, I've just had a bunch of other stuff going on. Um, But we're going to look at the Ludig fallacy. So this is one which when you go through the inserter the first time around, you'll hear mentioned and you may have even understood it the first time around. But at least in my case, I didn't really absorb the idea, to, to, to be frank, um, until I wrote this article and recorded this podcast to truly try and understand what is the ludic fallacy. It's something Nassim does uh, casually mention all the time. And the thing with Nassim is he when he mentions these things, he assumes that you also understand uh, what it is. So we're going to look at the ludic fallacy. And before I get into it, I just want to take this moment to say, wow, I cannot believe that we found each other through the infinite distribution of the internet, the functionally infinite distribution. We managed to filter our way down to this particular niche where I'm speaking to you through a podcast That is amazing. It really does blow my mind. But let's take advantage of the fact that we both found ourselves here. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that we have more in common than we do not. And so we're here, we're talking about risk, randomness and uncertainty in the sim to lab. But let's be honest, our interests fall outside of this realm as well. And that is what I want to bring to your attention. I do a lot of writing online, and I also host two other podcasts, the Geopolitics and Power podcast, which is perfectly self-explanatory for you lot, but then also another podcast called A Curious Worldview, which is where I am interviewing essentially just people who are willing to come on that are also in the Venn diagram of extensions of my interest. It's a Venn diagram of people who are willing to come on and an extension of my interest. So for example, I published an episode yesterday with Angus Fletcher, amazing guy. He's on the, he's been on Jordan Peterson's show, Malcolm Gladwell's show, many famous shows. Um, and then actually, in fact, the week before very, it was actually quite exciting to wake up to Jordan Peterson retweeted me. So I published an episode with uh, Chris Williamson, who's got Europe's most inquisitive podcast, uh, I would say, and I interviewed him and uploaded it and Jordan Peterson retweeted it. So that was a pretty fucking weird thing uh, to wake up to. But nonetheless, I'm just saying all of this to highlight the fact that we surely have more in common than just an interest in the Simtaleb. And if my hypothesis that that might be the case is true, then act upon it. Go to my website, subscribe to my newsletter, and that would just be unreal. So the Ludig fallacy. It's a term uh, that was originally coined by Nassim Taleb, uh, much like Lindy, Wittgenstein's ruler. Throughout the, inserto, uh, throughout the inserto, Nassim has coined these original terminologies. But much, like, uh, but much like the rest of it, it is in reference to sort of instinctual or ancient knowledge. But nonetheless, so the ludic fallacy is a term that was originally coined by Nassim, um, and it first came up in the Black Swan. Ludig is a Latin word, and obviously no one should be surprised that Taleb is leaning on an ancient reference, but the word in Latin refers to games. So obviously the inserto, Taleb is writing in the context of probability, uncertainty, statistics, and as such, the ludic fallacy quite neatly fits into his worldview that life is not a series of games. So we can understand the ludic fallacy by thinking of it otherwise as the fallacy of thinking about life in terms of games. So this is the ludic fallacy, the idea that life 
can sometimes be misunderstood if it's thought through the prism of games. And why is this? It's because games have fixed and predetermined rules. Much of your much statistical proof or probability proof is made through a say uh, through say a, 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 an example with dice, you know, or, or or an example with some sort of casino game, an example where all the variables are taken into account and visible. But in life, we cannot account for all the variables, so we therefore cannot fully and appropriately and accurately account for all of the possible outcomes. And therefore, we fall into the trap of the ludic fallacy if we think we can predict life, (laughs) essentially. So the ludic fallacy does very nicely and neatly um, sort of highlight the narrow, but nonetheless trench deep difference uh, where much of the inserto operates. The difference between the reality of life and statistical modeling and predictions of life. So explaining the ludic fallacy, The ludic fallacy is the misuse of measuring games to model real-life situations. The fallacy comes from the idea that much of our probability modeling is either proven or disproven through the narrow world of games of dice. The idea goes to complement and reinforce Taleb's better for Krusty's metaphor, which is, of course, for all of those who remember, do not try fit life into a model, rather allow a model to ebb and flow with life. The black swan proves that models based on an understanding of dice or probability, they are eventual victims of the ludic fallacy. So Taleb argues that the study of statistics is only actually applicable in certain domains, such as casinos and games, where, like I said earlier, all of the variables are visible and defined. That is the absolute key variable to this, to to understanding the ludic fallacy. If all of your variables are not visible and defined, you will fall victim to the ludic fallacy. And this is life. This is essentially anything we do outside of a predetermined and fixed variables realm. Me crossing the road, um, me interacting with my boss. Well, I don't have a boss, but when I did have a boss. Me interacting with my family, with my girlfriend, with an animal, by getting on a plane, by predicting where this podcast is going to go, by predicting how my uh, website is going to go, by predicting how I'm going to treat a client. Essentially, all of these um, pursuits, right? You can you can measure trade-offs according to whatever you think the probability and likely outcomes are, but if I'm going to physically make a prediction, it's likely going to to fall victim to the ludic fallacy because in all of those things I just mentioned, there are functionally infinite amount of variables and therefore they're not all visible and therefore they're not all defined and therefore they're completely subject to the black swan. And I hopefully don't need to remind you all of what the black swan is. And this is the problem of the ludic fallacy. As soon as you enter real life and leave behind the realm of defined variables, most statistical and therefore predictive models become victim to the ludic fallacy. And why? Because in real life, we're not in possession of all the variables. The future is composed of infinite possibilities and contains far too many variables for even all of the world's supercomputers combined working together to take into account. When you're not playing games, ludic, it is impossible to be in possession of all available information. This is sort of an insight that Taleb makes just again and again and again abundantly clear and what makes his ideas so contrarian and different to what the sort of uh, common understanding of the world is, what a, what a generally informed worldview might look like. 
He's just reminding us. It's this like Karl Popper falsification. We do not know everything. And we are continually fooled by randomness and survivorship bias into thinking that we do know a thing. But the truth is, is there are always going to be variables outside of our understanding. Because small unknown variations in the data can have a huge impact. Now, anybody knows this who understands the black swan. But I'm going to give some examples. When you're playing roulette, blackjack, or poker, ludic games that have defined invisible variables, you're going to struggle to prove the ludic fallacy because the variables are visible and defined. They're accounted for. However, if I sneak one card into the deck, all of a sudden, my blackjack and my poker could be subject to the ludic fallacy. Or if I just chip a small little indent on one of the slots on the roulette wheel, all of a sudden, not all of the variables are visible and defined. It becomes subject to the ludic fallacy. Now, anyone listening to this understands that even in the most controlled environments, such as casinos, you can still fall prey to the ludic fallacy. So how on earth do you think that we're not all subject to the ludic fallacy in real life? where the environment is not controlled. There is a veneer of control. There is street lights and there are cross paths and there are people wearing clothes and things are seemingly quite orderly. However, it is a veneer of control. The amount of variables and the the amount of variables and the amount and the actual fragility of that veneer I think could quickly be proven um, as fragile as I, as I think it is. Okay, so let's look at two examples uh, of the ludic fallacy. The first is, say, take professional fighting. So boxing, jiu-jitsu, MMA, whatever. Professionally trained fighters understand that there is a set of rules that they're going to be, that both participants in the game are going to be following when they step into the arena. So dangerous people, for sure. But, they're, but they know that they're not going to be kicked in the balls or poked in the eye or that the other guy is not just going to pull out a knife and hit him or that he's not going to bring 10 of his friends into the arena and crowd him as well. All of these variables are taken out of account, but it's about knowledge. So imagine this fighter, light heavyweight. He just won the light heavyweight championship and he's on his way home and he is now confronted on the street. If he thinks fighting takes place in a certain rule set, then he is going to fall victim to the ludic fallacy because the person might just pull out a knife or kick him in the balls or get 10 of his friends to come and mug him. Now, this example doesn't hold true weight because a real person, a person who lives in the real world, they know how to adapt to new information. And obviously, if this guy is the light heavyweight champ, it's going to be pretty fucking difficult to mug him. However... What if I could somehow program a robot to be the best boxer of all time? So he goes in there and he wins gold at the Olympics, but he's a robot. He operates under the defined rules of the game. Now, what if he's walking home and then say a regular guy who isn't very physically threatening at all comes and tries to mug the robot? Well, the robot's not expecting, say, the the stick to come out or the knife to come out or the car to come and run him over because these events fall outside of his predetermined rules. He now falls subject to the ludic fallacy. So forgive me if that's a really convoluted example, but nonetheless, um, it made sense in my head. Here is the example that Tilab actually gives in the book. And of course, it's Fat Tony. Uh, 
this and Fat Tony, I don't know if I've spoken about him on the podcast before, but Taleb thinks he's tat- Fat Tony, essentially. Fat Tony is like an autobiographical character that Taleb has written into the inserto. Um, and this is taken straight from the book, and you'll see exactly why Taleb sees himself as Fat Tony. But it's taken straight from the book, Taleb's infamous Fat Tony. There are two people. Dr. John is regarded as a man of science and logical thinking. He likes models. Fat Tony is regarded as a man who lives by his wits. He prefers instincts. A third party asks them to assume that a coin is fair, i.e. it has an equal probability of coming up heads or tails when flipped. So I flip it 99 times and get heads each time. The question is then asked to Dr. John of Fat Tony, what are the odds of my getting tails on my next throw? Okay, so we understand. It's extremely unlikely that we've got 99 uh, heads in a row. But Dr. John, the man of science who likes models, he says the odds are not affected by the previous outcomes, and so the odds must still be 50-50, which technically he would be right. Technically, he would be right. But we're in the real world, and Dr. John, who likes logical thinking and likes models, thinks that he's in a casino where all of the variables are taken into account, whereas Fat Tony says the odds of the coin coming up 99 times heads in a row are so low that the initial assumption that the coin is a 50-50 chance of coming up heads is most likely incorrect. And and Fat Tony goes on to rightly assert, because Tony lives in the real world, no, that's, that's a load of BS. That coin has got to be loaded. It can't be a fair game. And that's how we would all think. Imagine if we're at a party and some guy is says, oh, I just, I just flipped heads 99 times in a row. What do you think the next one's going to be? We would all be like, bro, that's a loaded coin. You're taking me for a ride. Yeah, bugger off. And so beware of the ludic fallacy. You almost never know all the variables. Stay sharp, stay instinctual, and most importantly, apply mounds and mounds of salt to predictive models that you come across. Think about whether you know all the variables. That's the big one. And that's it. That's the ludic fallacy. Um, I don't need to say anything more about where to go to go on the website, join the the newsletter and reach out to me. Actually, that's another thing. Um, like, don't be, don't be shy to reach out. It's uh, a couple of guys and girls, actually, funnily enough, mostly Brazilian. I don't know what it is, but there seem to be a disproportionate amount of Brazilian women who listen to this podcast. But nonetheless, um, yeah, reach out to me uh, because I don't know. It's, it's cool. That's what it is. It's cool. Ludic fallacy. Cheers. Laters.